Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Um, so, this was Jesus' prayer of you before the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, so John seventeen eleven. Um, I've been really enjoying uh, telling everyone this morning. I've been enjoying the Passion Translation. How many? Who's 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 got the Passion Translation? Put your hand up. Ah, I see. Ruth's got it. We're forerunners, Ruth, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's good. It's good. It's a bit of passion in it. So here we go. Holy Father. I am about to leave this world to return and be with you. But my disciples will remain here. So I ask that by the power of your name, protect each one that you've given me. Watch over them so that they will be united as one, even as we are one. While I was with these that you have given me, I have kept them safe. By your name that you've given me, not one of them is lost, except the one that was destined to be lost, so the scriptures would be fulfilled. So the whole of John 17, ah, I've spent weeks in there, John. Yeah, you could do like, I don't know, weeks of sermon from it. There's so much, there's so much in there, but Jesus' prayer for you was that each one that was given to him, he didn't lose any. Um, and, and Jesus then says, but now I'm returning to you. So, Father, I pray that they will experience and enter into my joyous delight in you so that it is fulfilled in them and overflows. So... One of the things that Jesus did is he died on the cross. One of his motivations was so that you could enter in to the love of the Father, which Jesus had. And for Jesus, that love was so phenomenal, so amazing, that it was his joyous delight. So it must be good must be a good thing. And I found that it is. <laughs> it is a good thing. Because my dad, who happens to be God, my, I don't know, what do you call your dad? Do you call him dad, daddy, papa, abba, baba? There's lots of different names for your dad, aren't there, you know? And uh, for Jesus, he's, he's, you know, he said, when you pray, say Abba, which was a closeness. It's, it's Papa. It's, it's very different from a formal father saying. It's, we're meant to relate to Father God as Daddy, Abba. And because he's so good, he's so kind, he's the essence of love itself. You know, when you hear the words, God is love, 
Yeah, sometimes you need to focus on the is. Because he is what love is. He doesn't pretend. He doesn't portray it. Sometimes I work in the hospital and, you know, I can be with people. And sometimes I can portray stuff. And really I'm doing my job. And I'm desperate for a break. Or, like, I'll just see this wheezer before I, you know, go and have my dinner. <laughs> but, but God loves because he is love. And he's the person who defines what love is. It's not our definition of love. It's not the world's definition of love. What we want is his definition of love. And as you begin to encounter this wonderful, amazing, phenomenal love, this sneaky joy creeps in as well. So we, we kind of ran out of time this morning, so we didn't get all my testimonies in. So um, those of you who've been to Aspire may have heard me speak of this before, but I really encountered God's love um, one morning. So I, I went over to do a ministry school um, in Toronto, which was phenomenal to do. And we'd had a whole week on how God loves you as a father. And in that time, I'd heard a lot about the concept of the father heart of God and how he loves you as a father. And he's not like your earthly father. And your earthly father uh, you know, is, is meant to represent God, but none of them represent it completely well. And, and I, was, uh, I was going, yeah, 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 no, that's great. I've, you know, I've been a Christian all my life. I know that God is God the father. Absolutely. Yep, got it. Marvelous was all up here yeah I knew it really really well in my head and I really thought my heart knew it as well and then there was one service six weeks later and I began to realize that those around me seemed to be a little bit more exuberant about this concept and I I was thinking what's so special about it you know what what's I'm like, it's great. It's another biblical tenant. Yeah, saw it. I'm okay. And there was a sermon, and I can't even tell you what the sermon was on. It it definitely wasn't on the Father Heart of God. (laughs) But something rose up inside of me. This grief rose up inside of me. And and one of the things was was that if God is moving in your heart... Sometimes it's good to get up to the front so he can really deal with what he's doing. So I went up to the front and I had, um, I had a vision. And God stood there and he, I, Toronto, if any of you have been to Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, they're really organized, they do organized chaos really, really well. So you think it's chaotic, but it's really well organized. And to prevent people from hurting themselves, because they've got a few exuberant people come from around the globe who like to be demonstrative when God's touching them. So they have a lovely carpet with lines on it, and you stand on a line, and the next line behind you will be about a person distance. So it's nice and safe. Anyway, so I was standing on a line, 
And I, I see this picture of, of God saying, Ruth, I choose you. And my immediate response was, why? You know, who am I? Why would you choose me? Why would you beckon to me and say, I choose you? Because I'd never been chosen at school. I was never... Um, I have really poor vision in my left eye, so I had a bit of a squinty eye. I wore big NHS glasses. I was a Christian, so I didn't swear. I didn't rebel at school. I enjoyed sports, but you wouldn't want to play tennis with me because I would hit the ball at you, it would come back, and I'd go and pick it up. <laughs> I wasn't a good sports partner. So I would never get chosen. And I had in me a belief that I wasn't worth choosing at all. And, and yet God was pointing to me saying, I choose you. And so I, I kind of, in my mind, I can remember going through, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? You know, when I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And Every single thing that I brought up, he said, but I love you. And, 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 you know, I was like, but when I've done this, and he's like, but that's covered by the blood of my son. I don't see that. I see you redeemed. I see you through the filter of, God, of, of my son's blood, of, of my love. And that is dealt with. That's covered. It broke me. And then I kind of was like, okay, so you love me, but what about the future? You know, I can try as hard as I like, but I'm still, I'm still going to fluff. I'm still, you know, it's not going to be perfect. And he was like, but I love you. So 45 minutes later, that's how long it took him to convince me. I think that's how long it took for him to really heal my heart. It was a lot of healing that needed to happen. I finally knew how much he loved me. And with that, it brought a realization of how much he loves you. And how much he loves you. And how much he loves you. Because if he can love me that much... And that's what his nature is. And that's how much he loves you. Wow. What filter am I seeing people in? Um, it gave me so much confidence. Because standing here today, um, public speaking, I haven't done it for a while. <laughs> I did a lecture last week on cardiac resuscitation algorithms. That was a bit fun. <laughs> anyway, I haven't done it for a while. But my who I am has got nothing to do with what you guys actually think of me. Because my dad loves me. You know, it's like there isn't a, there can't be a fear because I'm loved. And I just he, he loves me, and if God loves me and you don't, well, you're probably on the wrong side. You know? Do you know what I mean? You know, it's like that love has become 
um, it beca- it just went from this concept of God the Father into my heart being made really, really whole. So this is good, guys. This is this love is worth seeking after. This love is worth encountering. This love is worth running after and spending time with and saying, Dad, how much do you love me? Jesus' cry was that you would be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. That's what he desires for you. He wants you to be, to have that closeness with your heavenly dad, just as he had. That's why he went to the cross. He wants that same unity. Wow. Did you see what Jesus did? How he walked? That all came out of knowing he was a son. The very first thing that Jesus encountered when he was baptized was his father in heaven saying, this is my beloved son. He, he walked in sonship. He hadn't done a single thing. He'd not been to the cross. He'd not performed lots of miracles. He'd not got a bunch of disciples to follow him who he'd then sent out. He'd not walked on water at that point. But his dad said, I love you. You're beloved. 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 Oh. I have to tell you another story. This little necklace I have here. So, um, five years ago now, um, it was a special birthday and I went to Israel with my parents and my parents wanted to get me a gift and my parents are not very, have got seven children and over, over the time their method for buying gifts is to say, what would you like? Yes, that's what we can afford. Would you like to go and buy it? Give it to me and then there's your birthday gift. That's how they operate. And, and I was a bit like, you know what? I really would love you to get me a sentimental gift that you've chosen. Um, well, this was actually really hard for my parents. <laughs> and the reason why it was hard is because they wanted something really perfect and really lovely. So it was the day before my birthday and they were like, oh, well, we just haven't got anything. We've not found anything. What would you like? And um, so we were in Jerusalem, and me and my mum walk into a shop, and there's some jewellery there, and there's this here. So my name, Ruth, if you're... Ruth, can you ever find anything with your name on it? No, no. It's not a common enough name for, you know, it to sell anywhere. This says, um, blessed are you, my daughter, Ruth, in Hebrew round it. And it was almost as though, you see, my father in heaven knew how precious those words would be to me. And we walked into a shop and there it was. And so it was a gift from both my dads, my heavenly dad and my earthly dad. And it really also, I began, at that time was actually really hard. I was 
working rather hard in, up in Salford. And um, I really needed a change. And actually, it's one of the, it was at that point that I began to realize that I was loved again and I was blessed again. And I began to live more out of that rather than being overwhelmed by circumstances. And it was at that point that the job I've now got in Cambridge was created. I like that. <laughs> That's been good. So this is not just a love without action. It's something that you can walk in and experience down to the detail of your Heavenly Father finding you a piece of bespoke jewelry with your name on. Yeah, he's good. He's so loves you so much. It's something to dwell on. So Jesus died to restore this relationship. And he spoke from his his own relationship of love with his father. He spoke from a place and he would perfectly represent who his father was. So John 5:19 I speak to you a timeless truth. The son is not able to do anything from himself or through my own initiative. I only do the works that I see my father doing. For the son does the same works as the father. And in John 17:6, it says, Father, I've manifested who you really are. So, your father desires relationship. When we look at Jesus' life, we see that he desired relationship. He desired relationship with his disciples and those around him. Um, he wasn't distant. Your father isn't a distant father who's away, who's not there, who's not there for you. Jesus wasn't distant from his disciples. You know, they were with him. The majority of the time, except when Jesus went to spend time on his own with his dad. And you just see what Jesus was like. And he was full of joy. He had overflowing joy. And there's lots of different, there's lots of different words for joys. But one of the words um, in the scriptures that describes Jesus is the joy where you jump up and turn around because you are just... Woo-hoo! <laughs> so excited, you've got to jump up and turn around. Little Joanna, she expresses herself so well, doesn't she? When she's happy, you know it. Yeah, it's like, when she's sad, she's very sad. And when she's happy, she's really happy. Jesus was someone of joy. And one of the things that caused him to be overfilled and full of joy was the thought of you experiencing the Father's love. That is one of the things that he got really excited about. He was a person of peace. Absolutely a person of peace. Um, I once went on a boat for two weeks, um, and I had to sleep at the bow, and the anchor was at my feet. Um... I didn't sleep very well because it just constantly moved. It took me about seven days before I managed to sleep a bit better. 
Jesus managed to fall asleep in a gale. And I'm sure it wasn't waterproof. I'm sure he's getting quite wet. But he was a person of peace. Absolute. I can, I can go to sleep on this boat, which everyone thinks. If I walk in somewhere at work and everybody is up on the ceiling because of stuff that's happening, you join them sometimes, don't you? Yeah, you're like, oh, I walked into work absolutely fine. And now I'm feeling like the world has been a disaster and nothing has changed in my life. But suddenly I've all, all these people going, it's a disaster. This is happening, this, that, whatever. So Jesus was in that environment, but he was a person of peace. And he affected the environment around him rather than he was an influencer rather than being influenced. That was part of what his nature, his nature was. I also do have, <laughs> I do have this sneaky suspicion that he liked to do practical jokes. Because I do find some of his answers really quite funny. So, you know, and he calls his disciples and they've just experienced their first encounter with the supernatural, which understandably they found a bit scary. He asked that, you know, they're like, what should we do? And he's like, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, we know what that is. When you look at that as an answer, I don't think he always answered the questions. And because he would always answer the question beneath the question. But sometimes his answers would just have made me chuckle. (laughs) I'd just be like, well, that's, that's a bit different. And like... When he walks on the water and his disciples think he's a ghost. I do wonder how that came about. Um, you know, he's, he's with his dad and he's discussing what is he going to do. And <laughs> who came up with the idea of scaring everybody? Well, they're God. They would have known that would have happened. Um, <laughs> it just makes me chuckle um, and, and if anything they were like well it will make it memorable and uh, you know we'll, we will tell them that Jesus I will tell them it's me I won't think it's a ghost forever um, shall I tell the sunflower story yeah I'll tell you the sunflower story my friend Irvin um he is a GP. Actually, he's retired now. And uh, he, he's really prophetic. But he started off as an atheist in Manchester's Atheist Society. He's got a really sharp mind. Uh, a great debater. Um, and so he went to a Christian event to heckle with the atheists at the back. And... Uh, what happened to him, which he laughs about, was um, he was struck dumb, so he couldn't speak, and he got a picture of a big boot about to squash him. Now, that wouldn't be my tactic for converting somebody, <laughs> but for Irving, it worked really, really well. And from that moment on, he's been a follower of Jesus and passionate about it. He encountered the supernatural and 
You know, the Holy Spirit knew that that's what he needed. Anyway, Evan's got a really good friend called Ken. And uh, Ken is a little bit cheeky sometimes. So Evan is fast asleep and he has this dream about God doing amazing things. And, and in his dream, a sunflower appears in his garden. Um, and he's dreaming about this. Ken had got up early and had put a sunflower outside his room as a practical joke. So when Irvin woke up in the morning and drew his curtains, there was a great big sunflower staring at him. And he thought a miracle had one had grown up overnight like Jack and the Beanstalk. But it was Ken. <laughs> you know, I do think that there's a fun side to your dad too, I guess is what I'm saying. He is, he enjoys his children enjoying themselves. He does. He enjoys fun. He enjoys life and what it is. He enjoys life coming out of love and being a safe place where you can enjoy being with each other. Um, he also, just going to the, the story of Lazarus, so Jesus has a bit of a debate with the Pharisees, more than your average Cambridge debate, because it ends up with them wanting to kill him, which, you know, is, I don't know how much you'd have to do in Cambridge for that to be the outcome, but it would have to be quite out there. You can get banned though, can't you? Anyway, so so they leave and the disciples are all leaving in fear and Jesus is actually leaving because his father's told him it's the right thing to do. So they leave and then Lazarus dies near from where they've just come from. Um, and so Jesus waits and at the right time he goes back, and the disciples say, but we can't go back because they were about to kill you. And surely it's not a good idea to go somewhere where people have, where you've made them so angry that they want to kill you, and there's a reality that they could. But Jesus walks in peace, and he follows his father. He doesn't follow the emotions and the fear of those around him. He walks so much one-in-one with his father that that doesn't have to touch him. or He doesn't have to walk in that way. He's like, I walk with my father in heaven. I don't walk with the emotions of those around me. And he says in John 11, verse 9 to 10, You can go through a day without the fear of stumbling when you walk in the one who gives light to the world. And I think when you know how much you are loved, you don't need to fear going the wrong way because the person who loves you wouldn't let that happen. I do think sometimes we have, 
we have choices. And we think we've got three choices and we think, well, one of them's the perfect way. And actually, there are three choices. And your dad's saying, well, which would you like to do? And it's like, I'm having a really hard time making up my mind. It's like, all three are valid. But which would you want to do? Um, So if you walk with your Father, with the Holy Spirit, if you walk in his presence, you will make, you, you do make the right decisions. Sometimes they're choices and, and you, you know, you don't, they're not always easy. It's not always easy. I think it's really hard to go in the wrong direction. Jonah tried it and he wasn't very successful. If God really, really wants you to go somewhere, he doesn't make it really obvious. He gives you a gift of faith that that's the right thing to do. And when I came down here for the job interview, he gave me a gift of faith to the point that before I came down here, I knew I had to make the choice, would I move here or not? Because I knew I would get the job. And I I can't explain that I knew I would get the job because uh, for any other reason than God told me I would get the job. It wasn't because I was better or more qualified or anything like that. I didn't know who my competition were. But I, I was like, I've been crying out to God for a change for six months now. And this job perfectly describes what I would like to do. And I just felt, you know, my dad say, would you like to come? And I was like, oh, that's a bit of a change. Got to move house, move churches, etc. Do I actually want to do that? And then I was like, yes, I do. So here I am. I got the job. Yeah. The interview was not scary at all. Because I knew the outcome so if God really wants you to move, I do believe he, I do believe he, he lets you know. He does let you know. And Jesus knew how good this way of walking with your dad beside you, walking in his love is. He knows. He's like, it was worth the cost. It was worth the cost. Turn over the page. So the father's judgment is my next little part of this journey. Um, So we all fear judgment, don't we? I was just saying, I had my appraisal this week just gone past and um, you know, you get those little butterflies because I'm going to somebody and they're going to have to have written down everything that I've done in the year, all the good things, all the bad things, any complaints from members of the public. They all have to go in my appraisal and I have to reflect on what I did or didn't do. Um, We also put good things in there as well. So it can be quite nice. And this year was a nice one. Um, But it didn't stop the butterflies of judgment. And our response when we think of God, the judge, can be one of fear. Um, Particularly when you look at the Old Testament and you look at law 
and the consequence of sin because there is consequence to it. But your dad says, you see, God has judged the world, but your dad has handed over judgment of you to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Died on the cross for your judgment. He also died on the cross for the judgment of those who sinned against you. My sister got quite hurt when she was younger. One of my sisters. And one of the things that's really, she was like, God, that person deserves judgment and justice being done. And Jesus said to her, I paid for them too. You see, it's my sin. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. It's the person on the street. It's paid for. It is actually paid for. And the judgment and the justice is on Jesus. Because he treasures that restoration of love with your father for every single person. Every single person, no matter who they are. It is still our choice if we want to be joined in that relationship. And that's open for you today to say, yes, I need to know this love. I need to know this person. That blows me away. In John 4, you've got the woman at, woman at the well. And sometimes I like to think around, what was her life like beforehand? Why? So the woman at the well had had lots of husbands, lots of relationships, and was completely shunned by, her, by the society. She was doing something in her society really abhorrent to the point that, you know, she had to collect water at a time when nobody else did. It wasn't a social event for her. You know, she'd learned, if I go when everybody else is going, it's not worth it. I'm going to go in the heat of the sun. That's hard work. Who's had to go and collect water in the heat of the sun? (sighs) Yeah. Hard work. Much better if you go with your mates. (laughs) But So she's there in that place and all her life she sought love in relationship. Never found it. Never found it. Until she meets Jesus. And Jesus doesn't come to her and say, wow, I agree with everybody else. You know? He comes and draws alongside her and does what no one else has done for a long time and says, you know, can I have a drink? How accepting is that? And he then gives her what she needs. You see, what she needed was she needed to know what would satisfy her. 
because it doesn't matter what we seek, what pleasure we seek. Is it going to be something you watch? Is it going to be relationship? Is it going to be what you eat? Is it going to be drugs that give you a kick or that dull everything down? Whatever it is, it's temporary and it doesn't last. So for her, it, you know, it was relationship, ever seeking that. And Jesus says, it's me. Because nothing, nothing else will. You can search and search and search, but nothing else will fulfill you. But Jesus will. If you come to him, he will satisfy your thirst. And he really does. He's quite, he's quite addictive, really, as well. His presence, his joy, his peace. It's kind of, it's pure, it's wholesome, it's, it lasts. It lasts until, yeah, well, it just lasts, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, Father, it's so, so perfect. So she encounters Jesus and she learns what's going to satisfy her. And her shame has gone. It's gone. It's disappeared. And how do we know that? Because she goes off and tells everybody. And if, if there's sin in your life, i.e. you're not walking how God, you're not walking in relationship with your father, you're missing the mark. There can be real shame there. And shame holds it, keeps it in the dark and keeps its grip on you. And so if there's sin that's really got a hold on you and you've been struggling and struggling and struggling, get it out into the light. Share it with somebody. There's nothing new. You won't have done something any different than anybody else in the population. I work in A&E. I can guarantee you a lot goes on. (laughs) A lot goes on. It won't be a surprise to anybody. It will be like, oh, yeah. But you will find freedom from it. You will find freedom. You know, and she says, he told me everything. There's a lot unsaid in that sentence, isn't there? (laughs) A lot unsaid. Everything I've ever done. This love that you can encounter won't bring shame. It will bring freedom from it. Um, Zacchaeus. I think Zacchaeus had lived his whole life feeling he was different. And in the Bible it says he was very short. Maybe he had dwarfism or something. I don't know. But the person he turned into was someone who would steal and nobody nobody wanted to be around and yet Jesus looked at him and said I'm coming to you I'm coming to you 
I don't know. Maybe that was the first time he'd heard that too. I choose you. And that for me was one of those big things, you know, was who, who am I? Who, who am I? What am I? Am I lovable? Do people love me? And Jesus says, yes, I choose you. And he chose Zacchaeus. And, you know, that encounter was, again, transformed him. Again, and he, the shame of his um, stealing. I mean, you know, who's been swindled? Anyone been swindled? Yeah. I once had someone phone up. And they nearly conned me. And then they said, you're so lovely. I can't go through with it. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, thank you, Father. Because <laughs> I might have done. Um, well, Zacchaeus was the con man. He was the person who swindled people. He encountered Jesus. And then he went round and told everybody, I swindled you, here's your money back. I've encountered Jesus. He is so amazing. He came to my house. He loved me so much. I've got to give you twice as much. There you go. And it said he went round to everyone. So this was no small task. That to me, I think, implies there were a lot of people he had to go round to and confess I nicked your money. Wow. When I was younger, I, I stole some refreshers at a Bible camp. <laughs> Holy Spirit convicted me. I wrote a letter and gave the money back a couple of months later. <laughs> I think I was about six. Oh, my brother did the same thing a few years later. My poor parents. And, you know, doing that, there's a real, there's shame in having to write that letter and do that, you know. But with Jesus, he's like, no, I, I paid for that. I paid for that. Tell it as a victory. That's what I was like. But I'm not like that anymore because I've encountered Jesus. You know, I have. I've encountered Jesus. You'll be pleased to know that was my one and only occasion. Um, So loved by Jesus. So encountered the Father's love. That this value overrides any other. When you're dating for the first time... It's not hard to be nice to the other person, is it? It's like, do anything for them. That love that God has for us and that love that we then give back makes it easy to follow. Because if you're just in love with your father and you know how much he loves you, that's what you want to build. You don't want to disappoint him. That's not where your, your heart's going to go. So, fear of man. This love overcomes fear of man. 
Peter denied Jesus um, three times in John 18. And, you know, Jesus told him he was going to do it. So he had a bit of forewarning. He was like, no, I won't. And then he did. How many times have we gone, I'm not going to do that again, Jesus. And then we do. I've done that. And the first time, the first person he denied it to was the servant girl of a high priest. So the high priest was the person who was instigating the plot to kill Jesus. You know, he was part of the, the religious people who wanted to see Jesus killed because he challenged every value that they had. And there would have been a fear there for Peter. If I say I belong to Jesus, they've just taken Jesus inside. Would they take me in with him? The, I actually, you know, Peter maybe thought, actually, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. But if I believe that, that's going to get me killed. And we have values, our Christian values that we believe. They're not always popular. Because morality in this culture, in the UK, is changing. Because people are choosing their own morality rather than having a a biblical standard. And then you had the guard The guard was the person who kept the law and order. And Peter didn't want to admit to law and order that he believed in the Messiah. And then finally, the relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off and then Jesus had healed. Well, have you ever been accused of, you know, not being a very good Christian. Yeah. That wasn't very Christian of you. Are you a Christian? You didn't act like one there. And certainly chopping off the ear wasn't Peter's highlight of his early life with Jesus. You know, I'm like, that wasn't very loving, Peter. That was, you know, even Jesus disapproved. (laughs) And that fear of must have been going through, oh my word, this is, this is a relative in that culture. Would they have sued him? Would he have had to have made reparations? I, I don't know. But there would have been that fear of man, that fear of man there. So what changed Peter? It was an encounter with love again. So he'd lived with Jesus. He knew how much Jesus loved him. And he loved Jesus back. And so Jesus asked him twice, do you love me with agape love? That's, uh, do you love me with your head, moral sense, social sense, faithful commitment, act of will? And I know before I had my encounter, that's what my faith was. My faith was agape love. It was 
Jesus, you have died on the cross for me. I am committed. I will be faithful to you. Um, I am making a moral, a moral choice. This is what I'm choosing to do. And then the third time, Jesus asked Peter and said, do you love me with filio love? Which is a, a brotherly love, isn't it, John? It's that. It's closeness. It's friendship. It is. And that, I think, is the one that really got through to Peter. And that's, it's like, I, yeah, I do love you with this. This, you know, this, this love of, this brotherly love, this friendship, this, um, it's a different, it's a different type of love than just one with your head. It's a response to the love that you've received. And I think that changed along with the Holy Spirit filling him up and giving him some boldness. Because the next time Peter speaks, well, I, I mean, he does a bit of a Jesus, doesn't he? <laughs> you know, he gets, gets you know, up before the religious guys and, and then lets rip. Doesn't hold anything back. There's no part of him that denies then because he you know I believe it's because he knew he was loved and he loved back and his love back overcame that fear of man was like do you know what Jesus I love you more I love you more than the risk that the religious police will tell me not to I love you more than Someone picking up on my faults. I love you. I love you more. I want to live this life in your truth. There's a encountering the Father's love for you and learning to walk in it really transforms, and it really, really, really transforms. Um. My faith went from going up and down and up and down. God, are you really there? Oh, you are really there. God, are you really there? Do you listen to me? Do you talk to me? To I always know he loves me. I always know he loves me. He loves, he loves me. And I really believe he does. He really does. He loves me. You know, Peter preached so widely. There were miracles. He angered the priests and the Sadducees. He was arrested. But he knew he was loved. And when he was up before everybody, he said, is it better to listen to you or to listen to God? That was his defense. And I don't think he could do that out of anything 
but knowing he was loved and knowing how much he loved back. I don't think he could. I don't think, I think that was the motivator, that walk. Jesus' prayer over you today is, I have revealed to them who you are. So, if you don't feel as though you've had that revelation of his love, that is something that he wants to do for you today. And he wants you to seek and hunger after. And he says, I will continue to make you even more real to them. I think this is one of the challenges for me, as this is not a, a one-off. This is, I want, to know, I want to know and live and walk in this love on my bicycle to work or in the car on a rainy day, when I get at work, when I get home, in the evenings. I want to know that love at every single moment. That's what I want. That's what Jesus wants for us too. And I think sometimes I feel a bit like one of those um, weeble dolls, you know. I get knocked down and I get back up again. It's like, oh, back to center. You know, stuff in the world. um, One of the things Jesus did where he represented his father was he washed the feet of the disciples And we do, we walk through life and we tread in stuff. We tread in other people's mess, other people's troubles. And we can come home and we need to let Jesus just wash it all away and get back into his love again. Even more real so that you may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them, even as I live in them. There's a real promise there, guys. This was Jesus' whole purpose for dying. And there's a, he wouldn't have done it if you couldn't experience it. Paul wrote, I don't come to you with fancy arguments, with, you know, grand gestures, but I just come, I come with, with Jesus, with demonstration, with encounter. And this love that I've been talking about, um... I was in a group of, oh, I don't know how many of us there were, 60 to 70, something like that. There wasn't a single person who didn't encounter, didn't have an encounter. So this is so, I believe this is so fundamental to, um, to who Jesus is and his character, that he really, 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 really wants your heart 
not just your head, to have this encounter with his love. And he chooses you. He chooses you. He chooses each and every single person in the room. He has that choice for you every single moment of the day. Because he wants you to know more of it tomorrow than today. And the day after that. Sometimes in our relationships, you have the first flush of love and then it fades away. That's not your heavenly father. He wants it to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. He wants you to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. So the same relationship that Jesus had with his dad, where they plotted to walk on water, where they went and said, oh, it'd be great to feed lots and lots of people. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see some healing today? I'm going to pick my disciples today, God. Who should we choose? That same oneness where Jesus only ever did what he saw his father doing, that's Jesus' prayer over you. That was so important that it was what he prayed before he went to the cross. It's got value in it. It's got real value in it. And then just finally, I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. You see, the, the, the Father's love is so outrageous. It is so different from what this world has to offer that you look really different than the rest of the world. You do. You look. You act differently. Your motivations are different. I just... um, Has anyone ever met Heidi Baker? I've met Heidi Baker. If you don't know who she is, Heidi Baker and her husband Roland are responsible for transforming a lot of Mozambique. Mozambique is now predominantly Christian, which is really down to Iris Ministries and their team. Um, Meeting Heidi, wow, she is. She loves. She loves the one. She encounters the one. And if you encounter her, you've encountered love. You've encountered Jesus. I don't know how else to describe it. She will go and sit on an African rubbish dump for hours to hug the children there and to let them know that Jesus loves them. She's got some great stories. She... um, was going up to an unreached tribe and had quite a journey there. 
And the witch doctor there thought they might try and oppose someone who walked in the love of Jesus. Well, who thinks how that ended? (laughs) Yeah, they fell in love with Jesus too, you know? Yeah, I'd recommend finding Heidi on YouTube. So today, um, is Max around? Uh, Alan, do you mind? Just, yeah. This is, I just really want there to be that opportunity now to experience your father's love again. And it's okay to say, Dad, how much do you love me? And ask him. Ask him how much you love me. And if you need a hug, come up to the front. Um, so much healing comes from a hug. If you want to encounter more love, you can stay where you are. You can come out to the front. I'd love to pray for you guys. If you want prayer, whether you're, you want to sit where you are or you want to come out to the front, just put your hand up. Jesus meets you where you are. You know, he went to Zacchaeus and went to his house. So if it's a step too far, that's okay. We'll come to you. But take this opportunity for this to be a start of a journey of falling more and more in love and knowing how loved how loved your father loves you he chooses you he chooses you out of the crowd he chooses you he picks you he picks you you daughter picks you son and if you don't know him if you don't know him ask him to come and enter in ask him to come and dwell in your life and then let us know and we'll take you the next steps forward oh Holy Spirit just come now Come now and rest upon your sons and your daughters, your children, and enter. Let your love flow. Let it increase. Let your love increase and increase and increase. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.